Let's go ahead and move on. We're going to need some Bibles uh, for this evening. Can you go ahead and take out your Bibles if you don't have one? Uh, please raise your hand. We'll bring one to where you are sitting. Um, also, let me give you one last announcement as we get moving forward. We issued you out a 60-day challenge at our last Interact service where we switched everything up, sent you to different regions, and gave you a booklet of all the places you could serve in your neighborhood, in your region. We had Roseville, Lincoln, Rockland, Sacramento, Folsom, El Dorado Hills. And we gave you a booklet and said, for the next 60 days, can you find one area to serve in there? And we gave you all the contact information. So how are we doing on that? They're bringing Bibles up towards the front. Sorry, it will take a little bit to get over here. Hang in there. So how are you doing on that? And when you have done something, we would love to hear your story. We need you to email your stories of how you have engaged in your community by sending them to engage at bridgewaychristian.org. Engage at bridgewaychristian.org. Just a short paragraph of what you did, what your experience was serving the people in your local community. All right, let's do this. Take out the handout sheet that Pastor Mark drew your attention to a little bit earlier. I think he called it like a worship packet or something like that. I don't know what that was, but that's all right. You'll notice we are in part two of our First Timothy series. And why does it feel like we're not in part two? I feel like we're in part three. Just two. Well, fantastic. I don't even know where we're at. Today, I mentioned, I named the message Grasping Grace, and I want to begin with that concept that will lead you to the fill in the blank on your sheet. To a man that has a life sentence, who knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, he will never see the outside as long as he lives. He has but one hope, and that is grace. Grace is unearned favor. It's something that someone does for someone else for no real reason other than love. It is an extension of mercy. It is allowing things to be okay when they are not okay. In that man's life, grace changes everything. What I set before you is a realistic scenario that all human beings, by nature of who they are at birth and what they have done with their lives, are under condemnation for their sins. What I share to you is an impossible scenario. I tell you that every human being that passes from this life to the next is headed for eternal separation from God. When God began to communicate with mankind from the early beginnings, he kept exhibiting this desire to fix that problem. To reconcile that relationship. Ultimately, as an act of extreme mercy, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world. Yet God is not going to just let it go. 
God is not just going to tell mankind that it was no big deal. That would violate justice and that cannot happen. Not with the God that we know, the God that has been revealed in scripture. Therefore, the world was under absolute 100% condemnation and wrath. And mankind began to feel the pressure of that. When Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, he said, I will take the hit. All the condemnation that is going towards man, I want to receive. He went to the cross, took upon the sins that are ours, and died that we may never die. Do you believe this? If you believe this, you know the fill in the blank well. It is this. Grace changes everything. Grace changes everything. I believe that there can ultimately only be two reasons for why human beings can continue to move forward and have any hope of tomorrow. Ignorance or grace. Either you don't know that you're going to die or you know you are going to die but that someone died for you and now you will live. I'm not trying to be extraordinarily deep. I'm not trying to be uh, manipulative. I'm trying to state some facts. And the facts are, we desperately need Jesus. And Jesus has extended grace to us that we might live. What I cannot have happen tonight is have anyone leave here without knowing an offer extended to you on behalf of God. That He wants you to live forever. That He wants you to be His. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12 Um, We have a rather unusual service tonight in the sense of what we're going to cover and how we're going to do it. So if you could turn with me to page 839 and the Bible's handed to you, it's 1 Timothy, New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. We're going to go through a very short amount of scriptures. As a matter of fact, we're going to go from 12 through, I believe, 17. A very short amount of scriptures which I believe for some tonight will change your life. It has to change your life. If it doesn't, you either are leaving in ignorance or you're going to leave with grace and a hope in your spirit. Let's, let's dive into this. Let me just read um, a 12 through 14. I'll pray for the word and we'll move forward. We're going to kind of get into a good old fashioned uh, big tent revival attitude tonight. All right. We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, getting saved. Okay. So that means I'm going to have to go, I believe at the end of everything. And so if my voice starts doing that, I apologize. I don't, I don't know why it has to do that. Here we go. 
I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, Paul said, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. For even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Yet the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. No one needs to leave tonight condemned. No one needs to leave this building without forgiveness. No one needs to leave this building with any sort of fear of God. Why? Because grace is extended to us here in this place and you are drawn in that you might know that and respond to that. At the end of tonight's service, I will give you an opportunity to extend, to receive that and engage with that and respond to your God. So if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus... Tonight I beg of you to listen deeply to his message of grace to you. If you are a believer tonight and somehow, some way you have lost your way, there will be a time at the end of this service that I'm going to ask you to come up here and make it right. For some of you, you will only partially hear what I'm about to say because your dialogue with God started now. And that's fine. You can ignore me all you want. Just listen to him. So let's see what God has for us. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you in advance, knowing that, Lord, that you are good and you are gracious. And when you want to be known, even in the Old Testament, you said, I am a compassionate God. I care about what you're going through. You said that I am a gracious God, I am a merciful God, I am a forgiving God. That Lord, we have such a wrong view of you. We see that we are wicked and we are bad and we think that in some way it means that we are unlovable and yet you have said the opposite is true. You have said that not only are we lovable but that you personally love us. Change our lives tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul said to this young protege, this young pastor, he said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Greek, thanks is in the emphatic position. Everything about Paul is about gratitude and thanksgiving. He constantly rejoices in the Lord. He's constantly overflowing with thanksgiving because he has not forgotten what he was saved from. Too many of us have allowed our lives to go sour because we don't remember what we're saved from. We've gotten so wrapped up in the grace of God and we've gotten so light with remembering what we used to be that now the good news is just old news. May we restore the good news to good news tonight. For make no mistake, your heart was as wicked as the next. We have to remember what we were rescued from, or else the rescuer becomes an irritant. 
We think too much about what he expects from us while forgetting what he has saved us from. To how many of us as believers, we don't walk around with an attitude of gratitude. We walk around with an attitude of selfishness. Paul could not do that. For when Paul was rescued, his testimony was so extreme and the change in him was so radical that he had a hard time ever letting go. He had a hard time ever forgetting what he used to be. And because of that, he may have wrestled with all sorts of fears and doubts. But because Jesus Christ came to him and said, I have forgiven you, and he told him that, and Paul allowed that to wash over him, Paul could move forward. But he never forgot who he was. Because if he would have forgot who he was, he would have forgot who Jesus was to him that day. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. How did he give Paul strength? He gave him strength to get up in the morning. He gave him strength to last through persecution. We are now heading towards the end of Paul's life. He maybe has four years left. He's been walking with Timothy now for approximately 15 years. Before that, he was doing ministry before he hooked up with this young guy to be his protege. Paul has been doing ministry for over two decades He knows that God is the only one that sustained him through all those dark valleys, all the times when he thought he was going to die, all the times when he felt abandoned, all the letters he wrote that says, no one walks with me, but I walk alone. I remember I was just reading through some of his testimony, which I'll read to you in a moment. And he said, I went to go see the apostles after I had been saved for a bit hoping that I was not running in vain because in his heart, he still needed confirmation. Tell me I'm on the right path. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me into his service, meaning he has allowed me to serve him. He has allowed me to be in his kingdom. He has allowed me to advance the word of God. He has allowed me to give the gospel out. And that is an honor. I can't believe that God would let everyone, uh, out of everyone, me, to be the minister to the Gentiles. Because you can imagine, he's thinking, Timothy, as much as we have hung out together, all the people that are going to read this letter around you, they don't know what I used to be. They have no idea. Our young adult ministry recently, just this last Tuesday... They all got rocked by a testimony from a young man who they had no idea what his life used to be. He's a good looking, cleaned up, professional, mellow, easygoing, super funny guy. And everyone's going to assume, like I did, that his whole life has been cake. He blew everybody's doors off when he shared that his life makes all the rest of our lives look easy. They had no idea because when you see a man that's changed by God, you have a hard time knowing what he used to be. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. 
For even though I was once a blasphemer, I said things about God that were not true. I convinced other people things that were not true. I lived contrary to God and I actually began to go against the very God I thought I believed in. For once I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. The Greek word for that is hubristes, where the word hubris comes from. And it means arrogant sadism, joy in the pain of others. He said, I was a violent man that when I destroyed lives, it brought me joy. You don't see who that man was. I have a hard time believing it's me, but I have not forgotten. I was absolutely evil in how much I wanted to ruin lives, destroy families, grab children and throw them into prison. If only I could eradicate the Christians. I was a violent man. And I was shown mercy. A lot of people really have a hard time with forgiveness because they ask this question. So if I forgive them, God's going to let it go, right? And a lot of other people wrestle with this idea that so if Hitler on his deathbed gives his life over to Jesus, he's saved? Guess what? Yeah. Oh, I can't believe... If you can't believe that, you do not know your wickedness. Because you're still putting people in categories when all human beings are 100% condemned. Paul says, I was that guy that you want so badly to never be given a chance at forgiveness. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Bottom line, Paul thought he was doing God a favor. He killed people because he thought it was the best way to serve God. You go, that's twisted. Yep. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. That word in Greek means with a great amount, a superabundance. Now he may say, man, I had so much sin, he had to keep pouring and pouring and pouring grace. But what's the point? No matter how high his sin stacked, the grace came over the top, right? Along with the faith poured out abundantly and the love poured out abundantly that are in Christ Jesus. All right. So what's his story? Paul, no less than five times in scripture, refers to his testimony. Three times in the book of Acts, he goes back through and tells what he used to be like. I grabbed all five accounts. Actually, there was a small reference in a sixth. I took all six accounts and I crushed them together into one combo account. Here's the story of Paul. You're not going to be able to read along with me because it's many, many different passages. Listen to his story. 
Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. If anyone else thinks that he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. For I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. And on one of these journeys, I was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And I went to the high priest and I asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if I found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, I might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And about noon, as I neared Damascus on the road of my journey, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me and my companions, blazing brighter than the sun. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick a kick against the goads. Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up and stand on your feet, the Lord said, and then go into Damascus. There you will be told all you have been assigned to do. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles, and I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The men traveling with me, my companions, stood there speechless. For they saw the light, they heard the sound, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me and did not see anyone. I got up from the ground, but when I opened my eyes, I could see nothing because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. So my companions led me by the hand into Damascus, and for three days I was blind, and I did not eat or drink anything. The story continues that God came in a vision to a good Messianic Jewish man named Ananias. And he said, hey, I need you to go lay your hands on Paul and pray for him, on Saul. And Ananias said... 
No way. I know that dude. We got him all over our papers. His, you know, run away from this guy poster is all over our walls. I'm not going near that guy. And God said, no, 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 he's ours now. Oh, he'll suffer. Make no mistake. Go pray for him. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, and he stood beside me, Paul said. And placing his hands on me, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Brother Saul, receive your sight. Immediately, something like scales fell from my eyes. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So I got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, I regained my strength. Story moves on. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Persecuted, threatened, everyone sought his life. He suffered and suffered and suffered as a brand new baby Christian. And the church grew and grew and grew. For the Saul that they knew was no more. The old had died. And Paul the new had come. I turn your attention to hearing a bit more modern story on video of someone here changed by God. Let's watch. 1 Timothy 1.15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I don't think Paul was trying to exaggerate. I think Paul was being literal. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, in Greek the king of all ages, immortal or eternal, invisible or spiritual, the only unique God, our only hope. To him be the honor of being called as such. The glory that we might change in him forever and ever. Amen. Jake, can you come on up here and, and play a little bit with us? 
I want you to listen for a moment. I'm going to walk around and I want you, everyone to just kind of bow their heads for a second and listen as I share this with you and I need you to respond in whatever way is appropriate. And it's this. Jesus Christ, not just to me, but to all mankind, came to love on you. He came because he knew that you were hurting. He came because he knew that you would die. And he's not okay with that. He came to rescue you. And he died a horrible death. Not for your pity, because we do not even understand what he went through. He hid most of it like you hide all the pain you take for your kids. And you don't want them feeling bad. But he demonstrated to us that we are so important that we're worth dying for. He knows our need more than we know our need. And here, a man walks. In the Middle East, a young man who grew up in a nobody family, the God-man. He speaks as if he is God, and he is. He reaches out his hand to sinners... He eats at the house of the wicked to extend mercy and compassion. He exhibits that the worst of sinners are not outside his grasp and he extends forgiveness to all that are willing to surrender. This Jesus, the one whose eyes would calm the tormented, This Jesus, the one who would hold the children. This Jesus that will not stop calling your name until you make him your king. Not just that he might be able to count a number, but that he might rescue a life. He created you to be with Him. And if you are not with Him, your life doesn't make sense. You know that, and I know that. And so I offer this to you. Take this time. Get out of your seat And come up here to pray. Why? Because as long as your pride holds you in that seat, there is no forgiveness. Part of receiving Jesus is surrendering. And you stop being in control. For if you continue to hold control, you're going to die. Let the Savior be your Savior.
If that is you and you need forgiveness and you want to start a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ, I need you up here. Who else? Who else is coming up here? For those that are that are here, we we better support them and pray for them. You guys, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, these are your children. They have walked out from their lives and said, Yes, Lord. They have said, I want rescue. We ask that you would sweep into their lives and that Holy Spirit, you would fall upon them in a mighty and powerful way, knowing that they have been forgiven, that all that is past is gone. That there is only joy moving forward. That everything in their heart, in their life, that they want so desperately is found in you. We as a group up here together admit our sin. We know that we're wrong. We know we can't do it. And that's why we need a rescuer. God, take our sin and throw it away. Forget it. Wash us clean and make us new. We give our lives over to you because you are the only God that rescued us. You're the only one that showed up. We hand our lives over to you that moving forward, you are our king. What you say goes. We don't know what it means. We just know that we're loved and we need a dad. We need someone that will care for us.
protect us and shield us. Take all that we have made and transform it into something pleasing in your sight. We are now your children. And we will accept that identity as adopted sons and daughters of God. From this moment forward, you are our only family that matters. Rescue us, Lord. And heal us. If I can have the prayer team come on over here. There are a few more people that need to come up here. And that's for all the believers that you know darn well. You walked away. You're still playing a game. And it's a pride thing. And you know that you have yet to break and you consistently hold out for you that have allowed something to steal your Jesus away. I need you up here. Is there none? Ah, clearly there is. Somebody, some of us, need the Lord afresh. I know you walked an aisle as a kid. I know you did all those things. But where has Jesus been? What, years? What, months? There's no evidence. I can't find him when I look at you. Maybe today that changes. If he needs to be renewed for you, I want you to come up here. Because we're going to pray together. So this is us. No. So many times in this church, I've allowed you to remain anonymous. Not tonight. I don't think it's good for your spiritual life. Not tonight. You can leave here broken, but don't don't leave here the same.
And if I see you coming, I'm not cutting you off. I'll tell you that. Thanks. For my brothers and sisters that came up here, I pray for you and I pray with you as one of you. Father, we have allowed everything to steal you from us. Our priorities are out of whack. We don't know what it is to live anymore for you. We live for all practical purposes, like a non-believer. You rescued us and we forgot. It's not till now that we cared. But we care now. And we ask that you would forgive us for our apostasy. That you'd forgive us for the rebellion. And that you would forgive us for forgetting. Draw us near to you and give us once again the joy of our salvation like we had before that the fire is reignited in you. That Holy Spirit as you come upon us afresh that begins to grow into a bonfire that tonight we have decided that we will be different when we leave here. It's not about a momentary decision. It's about a paradigm shift in our thinking. God, we can't do it without you. If we keep going this way, we will die. And so we offer ourselves to you. Please forgive us. We acknowledge what we've done. And we want to come home. Restore our hearts. Let us know that we are once again connected to you and that your love for us has never stopped. Renew a right spirit in us. In Jesus' name, by the blood shed on the cross, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.